let's lean into the drug literature because it takes it away from the morality discussion of is this right or wrong or is this a, a bad thing or a good thing? Rather, let's talk about it in like, is this you know, healthy or unhealthy? And drugs had already kind of accomplished that. You know, we talk about drugs very much like they're not good for you and for these reasons, and that's why you shouldn't smoke. It's not a moral conversation. It's a health conversation, a public health conversation. And we wanted to frame pornography, which had not been done, in more of a public health framework. So we called it Fight the New Drug. Welcome to Family Tech Talk, the show that helps you be the tech expert of your home. From interviews with lifestyle experts on how they use technology to tech tips and the latest news, no matter what your skill level is with Family Tech Talk, you can be the person all your friends and family go to for tech advice. Let's get right into today's episode. All right, welcome to another episode of Family Tech Talk. This is the channel Family Tech, where you get all the tech tips, news, and information you didn't even know you needed. So today, I am so excited because this is such an important topic, and I get you know questions about this and surrounding this all the time. So I thought, why not go to the ultimate resource of fighting pornography with Clay, who is the co-founder of fight the new drug and clay can you tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of your mission and your what you do yeah absolutely and thank you for having me on i mean it's such an important thing that you do and talking to parents about these challenges that they face that are unlike any other time in human history so so i'm a big fan and glad to be here as you mentioned my name is clay olson i i did start fight the new drug that I, a nonprofit that educates young people on the potential risks and harm of pornography and other forms of sexual exploitation through science and facts and personal accounts. We go out to public schools. We've been to thousands of schools and hundreds of thousands of over a few million youth that we've, we've educated or done, uh, spoken to in live presentations throughout the world and, uh, and just really trying to amplify the message that pornography can be harmful and it can impact. Uh, and it's just been a, 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 a cause that I, you know, when I started it back in college, I've just been very passionate about. I saw how destructive it was. Uh, that was to my peers, you know, nearly 14 years ago, and it was, it's only gotten worse. And I, I wanted to do some raise a voice that wasn't being really, yeah. Other things are just, that I, I, I have a beautiful little family, three little girls and one on the way in a couple of weeks. So we're just loving wow. life. Right now. Yeah. But I'm kind of in the older stage now, you know, my kids are teenagers. So I hats off to you in that baby toddler elementary stage. That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you, like you said, about 14 years ago, you've been a pioneer on this for a really long time. And your organization is called Fight the New Drug. So what kind of went into deciding on that name and maybe explain a little bit more about the research that backs that up? Well, yeah. So the name, it's an interesting one. So we were, you know, we were just college students. We didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we didn't, we had never started a nonprofit. I, I owned a creative agency at the time. Like it was a small creative agency where we had some designers and, you know, developers and, you know, film. And so my mind was in kind of like building campaigns. I, I, I studied business and entrepreneurship and marketing. And so we really wanted to kind of come out when we realized that there was just nobody really talking about this in the way that could get into public schools in a way that could really resonate with young people. You know, most of what we heard uh, from was either over a pulpit in a religious context. Uh, uh, which you know, often doesn't land with young people uh, in the way that it's, it's, uh, it's done. And then, you know, you, you'd hear about it maybe from your parents, but they didn't really have the backing of the why behind it. 
So it was just not a, a healthy conversation happening with young people. We're like, let's change that. And it was kind of this creative challenge. Like, could we, you know, position and package this in a way that connected with young people and really change the conversation from do check this out to do that's not cool. And here's why. And, and so it was this kind of challenge that uh, we were like, could we do this? And this, this is a passion of mine because I had a cousin that, that struggled with pornography. He was much older than I was. And he struggled to the extent that he needed more and more often a more extensive version, more extreme version. And he acted out in ways that were illegal and inappropriate. And he went to prison. And that was a hard thing for my family. And that was the first kind of light bulb into maybe what this could lead to for people. And, uh, you know, having struggled with it myself to some degree, at least some degree, and seeing where it could really lead for a lot of people in more extreme versions, I was just like, okay, why are we not talking about this? Why is this something that we can't really address? And so we started to dig up, we were on campus, and we started to dig into research and uh, what was available in the literature. And we, what we felt is that we stumbled on a lot of data, a lot of, you know, scientific backing. And, and, you know, in hindsight today, there's just so much more that we now have access to. But back then we felt like we were just stumbling onto a just treasure trove of information that nobody knew about. And so we wanted to like package that and, you know, make it cool first and informative second, and then deliver that to young people and to our peers at first, and then kind of trickle down into the high school, middle school age. And that's what we did. And that was, we didn't know what we were doing, but we did that. And coming up with the name was one of our earliest things we gathered, I remember we gathered a bunch of college students together in like focus groups and we were like coming up with names and, you know, we came up with everything that was like, I, I, if I remember a couple of the other names, like victim and like we, you know, there were some of them were pretty dark and, you know, and, you know, extreme. And I remember at the time, I just really wanted the name that, that kind of invoked action to like to, you know, a call to action. And, and at the time we were reading a book by Mark Castleman called The Drug of the New Millennium. And, and it was all about pornography. And we were, had read that book and we were just like, oh my gosh, like this is the new age drug. And, and so we kind of thought, well, you know, it's kind of like a drug in the way that it is impacting the brain. And we're just discovering this through neurological studies that pornography affects the brain much like other, other chemical addictions can. And those are called process addictions, you know, things like gambling and shopping, but pornography is so much more amplified than that, but it's still kind of a process addiction that triggers those neurochemicals in the brain and leads to people need building up a tolerance to that level of release and those emotions to need more and more often more extreme versions. So we were thinking, well, let's lean into the drug literature because it takes it away from the morality discussion of is this right or wrong, or is this a, a bad thing or a good thing? Rather, let's talk about it in like, is this you know, healthy or unhealthy. And drugs had already kind of accomplished that. You know, we talk about drugs very much like they're not good for you and for these reasons, and that's why you shouldn't smoke. It's not a moral conversation. It's a health conversation, a public health conversation. And we wanted to frame pornography, which had not been done, in more of a public health framework. So we called it Fight the New Drug. And we, the fight was kind of more, you know, a call to a youth rebellion of like standing up against the man, standing against those that are oppressing us and an industry that is manipulating and taking advantages of, uh, advantage of us. So it was kind of a youthful call to action to rise up and you know, take back our relationships and our connections and our own you know, self-worth. And uh, so that's, what came, that's how we came up with the name. That's awesome. I, I really love that you touched on, you know, kind of what 
it actually is doing to your brain as a, like as a health crisis, similar to you know alcohol abuse and things like that. So I think that's it's a really like I like I love the name is what I'm trying to say because it really kind of calls that you know people can understand drugs are addictive. This is also addictive, and this is you know how we need to approach it. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's right there. Yeah. <laughs> So one of your mottos that I love is porn kills love. Can you explain a little bit about, you know, how you came up with that one and, and the backing behind that? I mean, so there's three main pillars that we teach about that we, we are really uh, focused on. And that's like how pornography affects the brain, how pornography affects the heart and how pornography affects the world. And we, we even have a documentary series that's free to, to anyone that's interested that they can watch with their kids, not just about their kids, but with them to trigger conversation. It's called brain heart world. And so all of our presentations, we talk about brain heart world. It's all about brain heart world. That's the framing. So when we talk about heart, and this is the one that, that really hits home for a lot of people, and that is our connections and our relationship. And there was a study that came out of Harvard, and it was a 70-year study and trying to answer one question. What it, and, it's, and the one question they're trying to answer is, what is the secret to happiness? And they gathered 700 teenagers together and they analyzed them. They took the vital signs, they did brain scans. And over 70 years, they followed these teenagers, continued to follow up with them with more brain scans, more vital signs, more questionnaires to, to identify kind of what patterns they could find. And these individuals became doctors and nurses. And one even became president of the United States, John F. Kennedy. And, uh, and, and over this mountain and lifetime of data, or many lifetimes of data, they tried to answer this single question of what is the secret to happiness? And the conclusion of this study was so conclusive and so definitive that it led the lead researcher to say and conclude that love is, or happiness is love. And, and basically saying that our relationships and our connections with others are the definition of what brings us happiness. And so anything that could come in and harm those relationships and those connections can ultimately harm and damage our, our happiness. And happiness is something we all aspire to, to have and, and, and be. And so when we look at that, when we look at research on, on, on connections and relationships, when we look at what pornography does to that in the short term, what it does to that in a longitudinal or long-term basis, we see that pornography affects, negatively affects what we love, how much we love, how we think about those that we love, and how we even express that love. And I could go into a lot of details into each one of those camps, but those four areas of what we love, it actually impacts what we love because of what we, as we consume more and more of this content, it starts to shape and, and, and manipulate our arousal and sexual templates. So it actually starts to shift what we are craving, what we are seeking, what we are desiring from, from a romantic partner or from our individual. And, it, and studies are so clear that those that consume pornography on a regular basis have a decreased sense of satisfaction in their real life relationships, in their marriages, in their connections. And so pornography affects what we love and, and how much we love. And I just mentioned the decreased satisfaction. The studies are showing that there's a significant decrease in that, that, that satisfaction with your partner because your partner can't live up to the, the novelty, the newness and the frequency and the and the change and difference, like, it, it, you know, it's always willing, it's never tired, doesn't have a period, doesn't have in-laws, doesn't have, like, none of these things apply 
to pornography that, you know, relationships are sometimes, you know, work that you have to have, you know, it's give and take. So, so it really can harm how much we love and then how we express love and how we think about those we love. It's just, it kills love. So we, as we looked at all the, the research, we were just like, how can we express all this kind of like jargon and all this research in something that can just like cut to the center of it and, and be a billboard? We were talking and I remember one of my employees, Kyson Dana at the time, he's just like, it's kind of like porn kills love. You know what I mean? And we we're like, now hold on. What was that? <laughs> I was like, he's like, it was kind of like porn kills. I'm like, put it on a t-shirt. So we just threw it on a t-shirt. We thought it was like, nobody's going to buy it. It's too bold. It's too like in your face. And that just, you know, became this, you know, um, we sold just tens and tens of thousands of those t-shirts and it became this uh, conversation starter for a lot of people. A lot of people, it's too much, you know, like they, they're like, I couldn't go there, but we have other more <laughs> messages on t-shirts. But a lot of people, that was what they wanted to share. They were like, it destroys love. And it's true. It literally yeah. kills love. It's not to say that those that consume porn can't love and they don't love and there are bad people. Not at all. That's not the point of right. that message. It's simply that it does negatively impact our ability to have true and pure and beautiful connections in love with those we care most about. Dampens that. That's fascinating. Like, I actually didn't know. I mean, I've seen the slogan. I love the slogan. But all of that with the research and about happiness and love, like, fascinating i am so blown away right now yeah yeah and we want to get that message out we want to help yeah. people understand it's risky you know everyone wants to be loved everyone wants to right. and a lot of people turn to pornography because they do feel a hole and they're trying to fill that hole and what they don't know is that it's like alcohol they, they try to like they turn to alcohol to you know you know tune out and kind of numb out to, to the challenges of the world which just makes those challenges much worse so Really, there's a lot of more healthy ways to address those, those symptoms than turning to pornography. Yeah. So you've kind of mentioned already the side, the, the big side effects, porn kills love. But what are some of the other side effects of pornography that you guys have been seeing in the world? Oh, my goodness. I mean, the list is very long. I mean, individuals that consume pornography, there's actually research that, that those that consume pornography are much more likely to to everything from you know have promiscuous sex and extramarital affairs to to think of women as less than or you know or being more abusive to women because the thing is that pornography when men porno watch pornography they've done brain scans on men that watch pornography and primarily men the study was primarily done with men although a lot of the literature applies to both men and women we'll talk more about that in a second but with men they've done brain scans and the part of the brain that lights up as they view pornography is the part of the brain that deals with objects, not the part that deals with relationships and connection. And so the more in uh, a study was conducted and more, many studies have been conducted and up to about 88% in one study found that 88% of the pornography that people are consuming, this is mainstream, this is not dark web stuff. The mainstream pornography that people are consuming is found to be aggressive and in some cases, violent to women, aggressive and violent to women verbally and physically. And so when you think about, okay, who's watching this content and it's widespread. I mean, yeah, the, the number of individuals in our country and in our world that, that consume pornography on a regular basis will make the hairs on your back stand up. It's just like on the back of your neck stand because it is so many people that are viewing this. And so how, and, and, and many youth, young kids as you know, the average age of exposure is nine years old. So we're talking about 
going to be like, my next question. So good job on hitting that. Nine keep years going. old. That's an average. People younger than are consuming this stuff and are consuming it on a regular basis. At first, it's curiosity and intrigue, and then it becomes a desire and a compulsion. And, and that shapes an arousal and sexual template. That shapes them sexually over time. And so the more that we treat people as objects or view them as objects, and that's what pornography really enhances, the more, the easier it is to act out violently against them. So in addition to all the ramifications, and I kind of just picked one and went down this path. I'm not saying that everybody that views pornography is uh, a violent individual and that you know, sure. beats uh, their partner or that even has those desires. It, I'm not saying that is a, a blanket statement there, but that is what is kind of cultivating in many people. And that's why we're seeing so many issues with consent, so many issues in our culture around, around sexual violence and sexual deviance that really is unhealthy for any relationship or connection. You know, when we talk about the Me Too movement, we talk about these issues that are unacceptable in our society, we rarely talk about the, the source of that conditioning that's occurring at a very young age. Yeah, absolutely. We are talking about basically the after effect of what is happening earlier. And, you know, yeah, like, let's get to the problem here. And then this problem later on would be solved. You know, I, I talk a lot about this topic. I talked a lot about trafficking. I'm, I'm on the board of different trafficking organizations, and I speak on trafficking as it relates to pornography. And it's funny that a lot of people, like, you can hardly find anybody that opposes anti-trafficking efforts. Like most people are very much in favor of doing something about human trafficking, especially child sex trafficking. Like this just like, we're all on board. So we're right. all up in arms. We link arms. We're like, what can we do? We support organizations that are doing things in this camp. But we rarely, as soon as you say, okay, in order to really get to the roots of this, we need to go upstream and look at the, our obsession, our national obsession with pornography. And as soon as you go there, people are like, well, hold on. Like, uh, don't touch my porn. Like, I'm all about this. Don't go there. And what they don't realize is they are like literally not separate industries. They are the sexual exploitation industry. They are the same thing. They are like two ends of the same cloth. And, uh, and one fuels the other into existence. And so I, I, I can't, I don't think that we can adequately address that most extreme version uh, of our societal challenges of, of human sex trafficking, uh, slavery in our day. I don't think we can truly address that without going and, and looking at how we're conditioning an entire generation to, to look at uh, one another in, in, in a completely different way. We're redefining the very definition of love and connection for this younger generation because they're being taught through pornography as their primary source of education. Yeah. And like you said, we're getting down on people who consume this content. Like, Almost everybody has been exposed to it, has, you know, maybe had a problem with it, you know, and so, and if you've struggled with that, you know, we've got some resources for you down the road here in this interview, but, you know, don't have that shame associated with it, you know, start speaking out and like, hey, you know, this is something I struggle with. And when you take that like shame away from it, I think it becomes a much easier thing to talk about. Amen. I think that We've got to realize that we are living in a society that is pushing, especially the younger generation, but all of our society from behind with enormous force to struggle with this. So if somebody is struggling with this, it's like, of course you are. Oh, like, of course you are. because You live in this world that is pushing you to do so. 
So uh, I have an enormous amount of sympathy and empathy for those that struggle. I have had my battle with it. I, I, I know countless individuals that have struggled with it and either found freedom or are still struggling today. And I love right. these individuals. And so it is true. We can't kind of, it, it's so important that we become aware of the full scope of this because what, one thing that we do want to like stop or, or one, one thing we do want to kind of avoid is this idea that this is a harmless pastime, that this doesn't affect anybody. Like these are consenting people on the other side of the screen, which is not always true, but they might want you to think that. And then, you know, and it's just me. This has no impact to me. I'm good. Like I, it's not affecting me. And then it's not affecting my relationships and it's not affecting the world as I consume this more. Like if we can help people recognize that this is something that has like an effect and it's little by little, but it has an effect on you, on your relationships, on those around you and on our society. Um, you know, people, if we can help people kind of wake up to the realities of this, we think and we've seen and we know that people start to make different decisions. People start to make, you know, uh, change their path and, and pivot toward more healthy living uh, on their own, not forced by anyone, not shamed by anyone, but they kind of start like say, hmm, okay, the, I, you know, I didn't realize how much this was affecting me. I talk to people all the time that don't come from any sort of background that would, would have suggested this was harmful. And, you know, after talking to them for a while, they step back and go, you know what? I, I had no idea. And this is a good point. And I've actually noticed these things that you've mentioned in my own life. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, pull it back to pornography, but I've noticed them. So do not, you know, those that consume pornography, those that are struggling with this right now, we love you. And there are people in your corner wanting to support you and on this journey. And if you're not quite even ready to give it up yet, just know that we're here for you and we love you and, 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 you know, don't have to feel shame about that. Yeah, totally agree. And for those of you watching, you know, if you have any questions for Clay or for myself, you know, please feel free to put it in the chat and we can get to those questions at the end. But so you all, you mentioned that the current average age of first exposure to pornography is nine years old. What are your thoughts? Used to be right. 11. So what are your thoughts on why this continues to decrease? If it used to be 11, now it's nine. How is that getting shorter? I mean, it, it doesn't take much to really kind of understand how it's getting shorter. Like the ubiquity of, of technology and how easily accessible this material is, in addition to how acceptable this content is in our society and, and, and how anonymous this material, like if it was smoking and smoking still exists, and we could talk about the parallels of the tobacco industry and pornography industry, but you know, smoking, if I smoke, my you know, my eyes might get dilated. You know, I'm going to smell like smoke. My teeth are going to show some signs of it over time. Like there are some physical manifestations that I might not be willing, not to mention I have to go buy them over counter where I have to ask for it and they have to bring it to me. I have to purchase it. People can be watching. There's all sorts of physical and social kind of barriers to most people. They're like, I, you know, I'm not willing to you know, make those steps over those barriers. Not with pornography. First of all, Cigarettes aren't showing up, you know, being thrown at me at every moment. You know, cigarettes You're aren't going to accidentally like, stumble across cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're hoisted upon me as I'm, you know, stumbling, surfing the web. It's just coming through the screen. I'm like, oh, oh, I guess what do I do with these? Like, they're not being thrown at me as I drive. They're not being thrown at me as I watch a movie. Like, cigarettes are kind of in their place, and I can go right. seek them out if I want to. Pornography comes and finds you at the very youngest and most vulnerable of ages. And they know that if they can get you young, they might have a lifelong client. 
So this is all about money for them. And they're getting you insanely low. And there are deliberate strategies to get youth addicted to pornography. Deliberate and very calculated strategies. This isn't just like, well, they, you know, did it, you know, they stumbled upon it. No, they were working toward that. And I can give you tons of examples of that. But so, so yeah, this is different. A, it's happening anonymously, you know, somewhat like people, like I can view it, turn off, delete my browser and nobody knows. I don't smell like it, I don't anything like that. And so it, it's happening much younger and, it, you know, the access to it is so much easier than any other time in human history. This rising generation today is dealing with this to an intensity and scale that no generation in the history of the world has ever seen, period. And so we have to have a little bit of like, empathy for the youth that are rising up, especially parents. They have to realize this is a different world than you grew up in. And we can't just respond with consequence. We've got to respond with love and understanding and support on how to, and education on how to navigate in a more healthy way. If we come out strong with you knew better or give me that phone until whatever time, we're sending the wrong message and we're not setting the foundation for a healthy way to navigate this. And it's gonna, it might make the problem worse than better. Yeah, I totally agree. And so my son is 13 years old, but, you know, I, I'm in IT. I've been in IT for 20 years. We've had a lot of technology in my house. And so he knows now, like even now at 13, he'll come to me and say, hey, I was looking at something that was inappropriate, you know, and then we sit down. OK, how did you find it? Like, where did you go? What do I need to block now? You know, or like, do I need to block it? Are you going to seek this out in the future? You know. So we have these conversations and it's not a like, oh my gosh, we have talked about this so many times. I can't believe oh, yeah. this, you know. How could you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's at a place, you know, thank you for coming and telling me and, you know, Beautiful. let's figure out how we can, you know, avoid it in the future. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but like, I think it's a great approach. That's a great example of how you want to, like, you need to meet them, like, first express gratitude for them to talk to you. I mean, if your child comes to tell you that they, they saw something or they're struggling or they're, or they're struggling with something, oh my gosh, the first thing you have to do is give them a huge, massive hug. Like, yeah. oh, I, 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 am, I hear you. I'm, I'm, thank you for sharing this with me. And then respond, you're in their corner. You're on the same team. And then right. address the issue as something separate from the two of you over here stand sitting as you kind of sit in their corner and say, how can, we, how can I best support you? How can I best help you? What do you need from me to, to address this problem? Because we recognize the issue together. And so a beautiful example of that. And, and, you know, I think a lot of parents listening as they think about it, as they think, like, I wish my kid would come talk to me. You know, I, I found it or I discovered it or I caught them. Those are right. more different you know, situations or they're lying through their teeth. They're saying that they're not problem, but I, you know, I have evidence that they are. That's a more right. difficult position than they're than coming to talk to you. And that's beautiful. Yeah. So, I mean, and I think it's the pre-work for that, that allows that to happen. You know, if you ignore it or, you know, you don't have these frequent conversations with your children about, hey, you know, this is some of the stuff that you could potentially come across, you know, when that happens, here's the like, you know, hit list of what you need to do, like turn it off, come, come and talk to me, you know, and things like that. So these conversations, as you mentioned, First exposure is an average age of nine. You need to have these conversations long before you think you need to, for sure. Yes. We always say, people say, well, when should I have the conversation? And it's like, well, sooner than you think. 
You know, parents often think this is like a birds and the bees. Like my parents sat me down and said, hey, here's all you need to know. And it was a one-time thing. They had like VHS tapes. They, it was like a whole ordeal, popcorn and everything, right? And <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's exactly how it was. <laughs> um, Mine didn't even talk to me about it. It's fine. <laughs> that's the majority. That's the majority of parents. As I talk, go around the country talking to parents, like that's the majority. People just didn't have a conversation. Today, that we no longer have that luxury. We must get involved, parents, 100%. And, and if you don't teach them, then the industry will, and you're not going to like what they teach, right? So right. we have to get involved. And, and, and parents you know, have to have those conversations with their kids at, at younger ages, sooner than you think. And it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing layered discussion that starts sooner than you think and on into their adulthood. You know, you use real natural experiences and, uh, and opportunities as you see a billboard or a commercial comes on. You say, well, how'd that make you feel? Or like, you know, how, does, how do you think that portrays women? Or, you know, is that respectful? And you can kind of start weaving through that, that conversation to help the child build up their own understanding of uh, separating the difference between healthy and unhealthy media. And, and if, if they can kind of navigate that in, uh, on their own when they leave for college, they're in a much better place than all of a sudden, or if they want, the first time they get their smartphone, they're not like binging because it's all of a sudden they're just like, here we go. Free access. <laughs> Free access. You, you mentioned VHS tapes and I just want to side tangent really quickly because I don't know if you know this because you're a little younger than I am, but there used to be a war between VHS and beta. Like yeah. there's a Simpsons episode. Oh no, beta. Anyway, the, with the, VHS and beta, the reason VHS won that war was because of pornography. I don't know if you Yes, know. I do know that. I it was before my time, but but I do yeah. know that story because it you know, because the porn industry got behind VHS, that was it. Right. That was it. Yep. Killed killed beta. Anyway. Yeah. So is this a problem you mentioned this really quickly, but I want to dig into this a lot further. Is this a problem for both boys and girls? One hundred percent. And I think that there's a lot of girls out there. After I go speak, uh, a lot of times girls will come up after and just say, thank you for acknowledging, you know, my struggle. Because we often just frame this as a male issue. And it, and, and it is uh, more so or more dominantly a male struggle. And that, that is, statistically, that is, that is true. But more and more, and um, uh, we are seeing a huge increase in females that struggle with this on their own. And, and there's a lot of uh, reasons for that. It often starts actually more of their own curiosity for how to pleasure uh, a boyfriend or how to, or, or like, what is this? What should I know about this? So it's, it starts from a little bit of a different place than it does for, for men. And it's also a lot more story driven. When, once they get into their own interests, it's more story driven. It's le a little less kind of to the point and a little, a lot more kind of like the narrative the narrative of kind of the, the emotional connection that they really are drawn to. And that can start for some girls, although this is less um, of a current trend. It was more so beforehand, but like through uh, novels, through, through books, through reading those romantic novels, that kind of really start that process of building that, that emotional connection and leading into very graphic scene, scenes that, that can lead them into struggling with pornography. So girls are struggling with this at an alarmingly increasing rate. And this is the science that both male and female struggle with. And one example, I was doing a presentation in somewhere USA to a middle school. And, and I don't remember where I was. That's why I say somewhere. I, somewhere. And, and there was this middle school 
And we, we adapt our, our messaging to, to be appropriate for the audiences. And so it was a, you know, it was a middle school version of what we were talking. And I remember this young girl, the sixth grade innocent, the epitome of innocence girl on the front row. And she's just like nodding her head the whole time. She's like, yes, I'm going, man, her parents either really on top of this and she's like on board or something, or I'm really connecting with her or something. It's not like right. she's just on my camp. And uh, I get done and, you know, uh, the principal gets up and she's kind of dismissing classes and she jumps out of her line, runs over to me and she had tears just welling up in her eyes. And she was like, you know, you know, tears started streaming down her face. And she said, thank you so much. I've been dealing with this for a long time and I didn't know who I could talk to. Or this, this is, this gave me so much hope. And I'm like sitting there going, and you know, of course I respond like, oh, thank you for sharing. But in my mind, I'm going, what? Here's a sweet script. Girl, that is just the epitome of it. I, I didn't even cross my mind that she could struggle, that she would have even been exposed to this, let alone struggle right. for a quote unquote long time, whatever that was for her. Um, right. Within that moment, that made me realize just how wide scope this is and how, because it's so secretive, because no one can talk about it, and because the, the, the physical manifestations of it aren't so noticeable, that, that it is so wide widespread and if it's as if we could like pull up the the, the carpet and see the floorboards we just see the, the immense amount of rotted wood you know that, that would just be shocked and say oh my gosh what do we do how can we you know how, how can we address this because our youth are dealing with this adults just don't even know to the scale that, that our youth are dealing with this it's just so beyond their comprehension yeah so what do you think is the most common way or place or app that People are like getting, you know, these young kids are getting their first exposure to pornography. Like, how does that first one typically happen? Obviously, there's outliers and everything. Well, I mean, first exposure, like at nine. So obviously, there's a lot of access to like mobile devices. But a lot of nine-year-olds, even today, like a lot of nine-year-olds do have access on their own devices. But a lot of times, it's still happening through like other forms. It is more digital. Their access is digital. It used to be analog. It used to be magazines. That still happens. How it happened for me. I, it was a magazine right. that I, I stumbled across, but it is very much digital and it can happen through gaming devices, gaming, like online gaming, you know, right. and even like ch ch children's games that, that yeah. are kind of streamed in like level three and four start to introduce some themes and like ads on the side that really draw you directly to porn sites. And it's very, again, coming back to the calculated measures that they take. But it can happen through like games, like Disney princess games. It can happen through like innocent Google searches, like searching for, for Disney princesses or water sports or something like that, that can pull up if the settings are not, you know, dialed in to, to be more safe, can pull up things that are insanely inappropriate and kind of jargony for that industry that, you know, somebody in their youth would have no idea. And it's, again, trying to, trying to manipulate those searches. Uh, there was a time in which like if you misspelled I, I won't give the word because I it still is. I think I, I think it is still aside. But if you misspell this, a very simple and basic word that is easy to misspell, it was a pornography site. And the alternative was like something for like um, uh, youth, like uh, clothing, like something that that they would want to look into and, and read about. So anyway, so uh, there's just a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, through the apps like Snapchat, Instagram, these are things that like although pornography is not allowed on those platforms. It is something that there, yeah, exactly. There is a lot of pornography <laughs> on this platform, and there's a lot of explicit imagery that wouldn't necessarily constitute as 
full pornography because they don't show you know full nipples or, or other you know private areas, but they show everything that you would need to get the effect that you are looking right. for. And then that then drives you right into those sites because they're often advertising you know deeper sites on those pages or on those screens. So Twitter is a big area that like it's not necessarily first exposure, Huge. but it's an area where where a lot of kids are getting access to, to pornography. And honestly, all of those social media platforms are a huge danger. There are several of them are huge dangers. And we actually have, and I know you have as well, there are places you can go to kind of look into what are the risks, what the risks are for specific apps. But again, a lot of times, by the time kids have their own devices with access to apps, a lot of times their first exposure happened way before that. But sure. that's where they really amplify those struggles. Yeah, well, like you said, with them targeting, you know, they use the same search engine optimization that other sites use and they'll target like kid searches, you know, okay, like kids would be searching this and this and this. And so I'm going to target that. And like you said, I think even originally they've probably fixed it by now, but whitehouse.com, like not whitehouse.gov, but whitehouse.com was like a pornography site. Yeah. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of those types of things where you type in what you think it would be, but it's actually like .net or something, the real one, and the .com or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately. Um, So you mentioned some of the apps that have the most access to pornography. We talked about Twitter for sure, Um, Instagram, Snapchat, you know, all of these things. I want to just add another one to that list. Pinterest, you know, again, Mm -hmm. while it's not... a Explicitly like allowed on Pinterest, there is still so much you can find on Pinterest. Yep. yep. Um, and, and you got to think of yourself like, you know, the definition of pornography is not always easy for people to define. And so, although like a platform might not define certain imagery as pornography to a 12 year old or a nine year old boy, all they need is, uh, is, is there's an ample amount of content on all of those platforms that is plenty for them to go down the same path that will then set the stage for what is to come in pornography. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some good ways that parents can help kids through this first exposure? Um, Because I know a lot of parents will be watching like, okay, I know this is a problem. Where do I start with my kid? Like, you know, A, you should start now, even if your kid is like three, you know, obviously age appropriate. You know, when my kids were three and four, I'd be like, okay, if you see naked mommies and daddies, you know, turn it off and come and tell me, you know, like just really basic, but like, so how do parents help their kids through this first exposure? Well, I mean, I, I think we've said some things that like, you got to talk to your kids, period. You, you got to engage with your children on this topic. And it's, although it's not comfortable and maybe your parents never did, you know, we no longer live in those days, right? Right. We live in a time in which that is a, a requirement, a necessity for survival in, in those discussions for you, the ch- survival of your children to kind of get out of this without too many scars. So first of all, is, is communicating and talking with your kids in an open and loving and understanding way and really help them understand the why. A lot of parents, you know, say, no, don't, it's bad, it's wrong, it's a sin, whatever. And, and they don't really kind of back it up with the why. But when we talk about drugs, when we talk about alcohol, we often talk about the why. So why aren't we doing that with pornography from a scientific level? Because there's studies that show that youth respond more to science than they do um, discussions of morality at certain ages, particularly in that age where they're trying to find where their moral compass or their, you know, their religious compass is and that not, might not align with mom and dad. 
So if you only come out of it with teaching your family values, we say first, you know, you, you want to acknowledge and love and acknowledge the conversation in it and set the stage for a very healthy conversation and then teach your family, uh, sorry, then teach them this science and teach them the why and understand, and then teach them your family values. Because, you know, oftentimes people skip one or two and one would be like asking questions, like don't talk much, but ask questions and listen and learn from them. Like, what, so what, what do you think that means? Okay. And, and how, how do you think? Oh, okay. So where, where'd you see that? Oh, okay. Just like understand where they're coming from or what knowledge that they have that you can add to. And then teach them the research and kind of fill in those gaps of like, well, actually, like, did you know this and this and this and this? And, and, and then you teach them the family values. Most parents skip one and two and go right into three. Like yeah. right into the, here you go. This is what we believe collectively. And yeah. that doesn't hit, hit home. And then number four would be repeat. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. This is an ongoing layered conversation. So you just go through that process and really engage with them and, uh, and uh, in a healthy way. I, you know, there are great resources out there that help you start these conversations. Books, our good friend, I'm sure you know, Kristen Jensen from Protect Young Minds. Yeah, good pictures, bad pictures. You know, is a great way to kind of like start the conversation with young kids to kind of say, have you seen these, you know, these pictures that, that, that we're talking about in this book? It's like, yeah, I just saw this or, you know, so-and-so down the road showed me this. Well, okay, let's talk about that. And, and, and how'd that make you feel? And it's, it's natural and normal to have those feelings. It's not, you're not a bad person for, you know, for, or being interested or, or finding that, you know, inter, you know, interesting and curious. So, you know, helping them understand those things. And, and I often tell parents, teach them the good before you teach them the bad. Like teach them like that our bodies and our relationships are beautiful. And, and I believe that they are, that they are, you know, sacred and that they're, they're, they're intentional and they're purposeful. And it's not, it's something that in the right time with the right person in the right place is very, very appropriate and beautiful. And if we come out of the gate with like just the no, 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 and bad, 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 it's, it really messes with their psyche when, when in fact that that isn't the case, that, that brings a lot of shame on over time and even falls them into their adulthood. So teach them the good so that you can teach them the counterfeit because the pornography yeah. is a counterfeit. It's a hollow counterfeit to what is beautiful. And so teach them that, that beautiful so that they can understand the contrast uh, rather than just teaching them this. They, they're missing the most important piece. Yeah. So like I said, you know, I'm, I've got this book for sure. I mean, my, my kids have outgrown this, but, you know, got 13 and like almost 17 year olds. But, but there's even like a junior version of this that's even mm -hmm. for younger kids. Like this is pretty young, but like the junior version I don't have, but is even you know, yeah, skewed I, a little bit younger. I have it somewhere, but yeah. I'm sure you do. <laughs> and then I got these on Amazon, just like 30 days of sex talks. And like yeah. this one's for ages eight to 11. This one's for ages three to seven, you know, because like I said, my parents had zero conversations with me about this. And, you know, with the prevalence of, you know, pornography and everything that's available, you need to have these conversations so much younger. And I didn't want it to be a secretive, shameful thing. I'm like, I wanted to have open conversations with my kids about sexuality and, you know, and all of this where it is, can be a good thing, but, you know, it can be exploited. Yeah. It, yeah. And it can be, the consequences can be very severe if we mistreat that. Right. So it's, 
it, I, I love those, you know, Dean Alexander and Kristen Jensen, both of those authors for the books that you showed, like good friends, and they, they've done great work. And so I definitely recommend engaging in those. I, I'm going to add one. Is that okay? And these yeah, are, and please this, do. Are, yeah. And, and this is. And this I'll is, link all of these in the description once we're done here so that you can get right to them. So what I'm going to uh, add is something that's brand new. So no one yep. has, has yet seen this or heard it yet. I mean, we're kind of coming out, but over the last two and a half years, so I, I've been doing a lot of work in this space for a very long time, but over the last two and a half years, I've been working with uh, the Maloof Foundation, which focuses on fighting child sexual exploitation and a software company that I have called Impact. So we, we, we've been kind of teaming up to work on a free, completely free, let me just start there, free resource for parents to help them navigate the challenges of today's digital landscape. It's called Raise. Yeah, there you go. On the screen there. So join Raise. Like I knew this was going to come up for sure. <laughs> so Raise is, is a free resource and it's, it's really meant to empower and educate parents on how to navigate this because it, there's not a parental script or generational script. You know, it's not like grandma and, and grandpa, or you know, we can just ask, you know, mom what she did because these challenges didn't exist. And what we're learning is that most every parent is concerned with their digital, the digital safety of their children, but that they only spend, and, and uh, you'll even scroll to this, or if you are, maybe oh, okay. already did, they only spend about 47 minutes or 46 minutes on talking to their children about digital safety throughout their entire childhood. So we have this huge gap between, you know, uh, what is what our concerns are and what our behaviors are with these challenges. So we're all about closing that gap and going beyond. So we focus on five different areas. And if you actually keep scrolling, you can see those five areas yeah. in, in Ray. So we focus on nurturing parent-child relationships, which is a foundational component of like how to even proceed out of any of these. The second one is, is managing screen time balance, which a lot of parents are like, well, I don't even know how much is too much or what should I do or whatever. And these are things that you do so well at. And, and, uh, and if you keep going right here, navigating inappropriate content, we've been talking about that here today, pornography and violence and other things online that are inappropriate and wrong. And how do we navigate that? How do we, how do we, when should we you know, have those conversations? And we have some beautiful material that, that addresses that. Do you go down so the fourth one is confronting cyberbullying. Now that doesn't apply to you know kids, maybe they're, you know five and six, but it absolutely applies to kids as they enter into middle and high school. This is a huge issue. Bullying has always been a problem, and it's a problem today uh, more so than any other time. But cyberbullying is like pouring fuel onto the existing bullying issue because it can be shared and expanded uh, digitally and scaled, and so the the impact can be so much more devastating. So. We, we really need to be looking into that. And then the last one is, is uh, protecting against online predators. So we have these different journeys that parents can go down to like help them navigate these areas. We have you know, ways that you can track each child and see progress and improvement and a way to become a certified raised certified parent. And again, it's all free. It's just kind of a, a, a way that we wanted to like help uh, in this space. And, and, and we're actually having a conference coming up on October 18th of 2000. 22. So this year in Lehigh uh, at the Thanksgiving point, yeah, you're in the backyard. We're going to be doing a, confer a, con a conference there. We we're bringing in the, the nation's leading expert on cyberbullying, Dr. Uh, Samir Hinduja. We're bringing in Ralphie uh, uh, Jacobs uh, from Simply on Purpose. We're bringing in uh, Smith Alley. We're bringing in uh, you know, some wonderful speakers to speak on some of these areas. And uh, we're, we're going to be uh, taking this across the country. And so we'd love for, for anybody that's interested to come join us 
on October 18th at Thanksgiving point. But if you're you know not even in this in the hemisphere or in the area, please just uh, know that we have some some support for you. In addition to all that we've discussed, here's a free place to kind of download some, and get some help. This is brand new, so we're kind of in a, in a beta state, but we're excited to get it out there. Yeah. So that October conference will that be streamed at all? Would people be able to sign up and watch it online? That is a great question. One that we're navigating right now okay. so we don't have an answer for that yet we we Stay may allow we, we, uh, no matter what we will allow it to be purchased or or accessed afterward but whether it's going to be live streamed we're gonna we're still discussing right now very cool that's awesome yeah so i've actually played around in the app a bit it looks great a bunch of the stuff that you know i would recommend and everything so everybody definitely check that resource out I think it's going to be super important to help parents. So in addition to that, like, what about the kids who are already exposed, already addicted? How can we help them? And not you even know, kids, you know, anybody really. Yeah, anybody. I, first of all, we, we've kind of said this, we keep on hitting this. We've got we've to meet them with love and support. And if they're struggling, we've got to like be in their corner and recognize and have sympathy around that struggle that they are facing uh, rather than just kind of respond with like, you know, judgment and, you know, disgust or, you know, anger. And, and that's going to be critical uh, to their ability to overcome this. We've got to recognize that this is something that, that takes time to overcome. It's not like, a, okay, so you're not going to do it again? You're not going to do it again? Okay, good. We're, we're done now. And so like, oh, okay. Like, Having that pressure of having a kind of a, a white knuckle, all or nothing, you know, stop is can happen. We've seen it happen, but it's odd. It's very, very, very uncommon. So the most likely it's going to be a process and setbacks will occur. And we've got to be patient with that process and we've got to not kind of fall back into the depths of it, but learn from each step. And there are some great resources out there to support people along this path, some professional resources. If, if that's needed, if we need professional intervention, individuals that are, you know, trained in these areas and and a great other one uh is one that we've been working on for many years that people are probably aware of and called fortify that is that has a free version for youth it's free for individuals to sign up they can get access to to and if you go to joinfortify.com you can kind of see it it's a mobile app as well and and it provides education community and tracking to visualize that process and it's a, it's a really, really, we've had hundreds of thousands of people go through this program and see incredible results. And oftentimes they combine it with some other interventions that they're dealing with because it can enhance that process. So this really helps people understand that they are not their addiction, that they are not alone, that, they, that there is hope and that they and get to the roots of it. Because, you know, it's not just addressing the pornography, but what's leading to this? What are the gaps we're trying to fill? What could be uh, causing this upstream in lifestyles or environments or a relationship that we can help to address to, to kind of, you know, really prevent this from following you for the rest of your life, but prevent it, you know, make it so that you can actually get over this and move on and not have this, you know, nipping at your heels. So this yeah. is a great resource uh, for both teens and adults. We have two separate experiences for the teens and different for the adults. Awesome. Uh, I love that. We And like I said, I will put all of these links in the description so you guys don't have to memorize all of this while we're talking. But last thing, how can other people, myself, get more involved in what you are doing? How do we support you a little bit? Well, I mean, there's so many different fronts that we're dealing with, right? We're, we're like 
the raise aspects for parents who are dealing with like fighting a drug to, to get awareness. And, you know, maybe you could bring us into your schools in your local area. Maybe you could, and maybe you can host a screening of the documentary series in your area or in your home. Maybe, maybe you could work with us to just, you know, get eyeballs and access to the free resources that we've created. And, uh, and there's other ways. So what we often ask for parents that want to get involved or individuals who want to get involved is to reach out to us. And, and sometimes like, what are your passions? What are you skilled at? What do you love to do? And, you know, as you share that, it's like, maybe it's like going out and presenting or speaking, or maybe it's an organizing an event, or maybe it's, it's sponsoring some individuals to get some support and help. Whatever it may be, you know, we encourage young people and old people to like use the skills and, and resources and influence that they have, however large or small those may be, to, to make the, a dent in their own way. And if that includes us or our organization, fantastic. If it's their own, we are championing it from the rooftop. We just want people to be more open about this conversation. We want people to be more actively pursuing solutions and, and we want to help and encourage. And so, yeah, it, it, some people have con- reached out and said, hey, I've got this idea that I want to do in my area. And we're like, great, how can we help you versus can you help us? So all of the above is available. Reach out to us. You can reach out to me at clay at fightinadrug.org and, uh, and we can talk about it. And, and, and you know, a lot of good has come out of that. But as a nonprofit, we're always looking for support and uh, funds to continue the efforts we're doing. So if that's all you can do, that's wonderful too. So we just love any support awesome. we can get. Awesome. Well, Clay, been such a pleasure to talk to you. Anything else you want to say or anything we didn't cover that you wanted to mention? Well, I just want to also say, in addition to everything we've discussed, the work that you are doing, Sarah, and the website that you provide is so, I, I, you know, the people listening to this, I assume that they already are fully aware of all those you know, wonderful resources and, and the education and content you provide. But of course, that is such a cent- central, beautiful place to like be deliberate. The parents that are listening to this, they're proactively trying to navigate this world. And I'm so glad that they found you and they found kind of all the, the assets that you can provide them. And you're undoubtedly changing lives. So I'm so grateful for the work you're doing. I'm a fan and I'm a supporter. So thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, my, my goal, I come from an IT background, so I've been in IT for over 20 years and, you know, all my friends would come to me with all these questions about technology. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's not really a resource out there for people to go to where they feel comfortable. Because a lot of times, I mean, being a female in tech is a little bit unique. You know, they're, hopefully it's getting to be more. I love watching girls in STEM, but, but yeah, being a female in technology, other moms find that a little more approachable. So hopefully... It's a little bit more approachable for, you know, all sorts of parents. I guarantee it is. Yeah. Well, thanks. I am just going to like pop up a couple of these conversations. Thank you, Jeff. I'd love to see that. I'm, I love this conversation too. So I'm glad other people enjoyed it as well. And then she missed it. Dang, we'll catch the replay. So luckily this will be available. Yeah. <laughs> will be available, you know, after the fact on Facebook and on YouTube. All of the resources I will link in the description so you can catch those if you missed it too. So, Clay, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Get back to your golf tournament. (laughs) That's why he's all golfy today. He's golfy today. (laughs) Golf tournament. But 
I am so appreciative of you taking the time to spend with me this hour. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sarah. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to Family Tech Talk. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. I am Family Tech on all platforms and respond to all of my DMs. You can also become one of my techs by joining the Facebook group, our subreddit, or the Discord server. Just search any platform for Family Tech and you'll be sure to find the community.